To mark 100 days to go until the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games, my guest today is an athlete whose pathway into sport is like no other, and how she turned a life-changing event to become one of the best athletes in her sports. I'm very pleased to introduce visually impaired lawn bowler Julie Thomas to this week's podcast. So Julie, thanks so much for the lovely welcome into your home. Now, can you believe it? A hundred days to go until Birmingham. It only felt like yesterday when you won that bronze in the Gold Coast. Um, what are the feelings going into Birmingham? I just can't believe there's, it's sort of so quick, you know. I, you're quite right. It's, I, I, can, I can still remember going to the you know, Gold Coast and the build-up towards it. We were actually invited to a Disability Sport Wales sort of launch event. And I remember standing on the stage, they gave me a microphone and said, you know, do you think you'll be going to the Gold Coast? And it was like the, the build-up and will we get on the plane? And that seems like yesterday. It's, I cannot believe how quickly time has flown. And now we're counting down with 100 days to go. It's incredible. Because mm. you went into the Gold Coast, obviously, that was your first Games. So I suppose no expectations, no pressure, just going for the experience and enjoying that moment. Um, so this time... Are you putting pressure on yourself to go in better again? Or is there external pressure? You know, what's the thought process in the next few weeks now going into the Games? I think, you know, it was a, it was a new experience going to the Commonwealth Games. I, I sort of, I'd relatively be new to sport. I'd, I'd only been playing sort of three years when I went to the Gold Coast. But I'm the sort of person that puts a lot of pressure on myself. I'm a perfectionist. I always have been in everything I do. So although sort of you, you would think going into the Gold Coast there was no pressure. There was a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself. There was expectations from people because of how I'd been playing and things like that. So I think the pressure is still very much the same for myself, from me, um, apart from the fact that, you know, I feel that we sort of missed out a little bit in the Gold Coast. We were so close to being in the gold and silver medal match. I mean, it was the last bowl of the last end and we were, we were almost there. So although we were absolutely thrilled to win a bronze medal, there was always that, you know, what if we were nearly there? So I think this time we're still going in with the same expectations. We want a medal, we, we want to win, and it's the best medal we can get, really. So I don't think the expectations are any different than they were in the Gold Coast, apart from the difference being is that we know, I know what I'm letting myself in for, really. I think when I went to the Commonwealth Games, I was so taken aback with the noise, mm. the atmosphere. You know, when you play bowls, it's quite a sort of quiet sport. It's very, um, you know, there's not a lot of atmosphere when you go to a, a game of bowls. It's, it's quite quiet. And when we set foot on the Commonwealth Games green, there was just all this clapping, this whooping, this cheering. They did like, you know, this Mexican wave. You know, I've always been an Australian wave, but it was, it was incredible. The, the crowd certainly came out in force in the Gold Coast to watch the Lawn Bowls, didn't they? Okay. Uh, and the venue as well. Um, describe what that feeling is like when you're competing for your country at the Commonwealth Games. I think it's just amazing. I think you, they keep telling you you're going to feel really proud of what you're doing and it's, it's an amazing feeling sort of wearing the, the red vest and representing Wales. But I don't think you truly sort of understand it until you actually get there it's the, the sort of the team atmosphere and sort of I, I don't I don't know you, you really are part of a whole team it's not just one little bit of sort of bowls and you because you know, when you when you play bowls it's there's a few of you you go there and you're representing a small group when you go there you, 
<laughs> and for those listening, this is your new partner in crime, Yoko. So in terms of representing your country, which you've done several times, but at the Commonwealth Games, how different is it? I just, I just think when people tell you that you're going to represent Wales and, and you sort of you feel you know, you're get the sense of pride and things like that, I think you don't really understand how it's actually going to be. And I think I knew I was going to be proud representing and people say that to you. But when you actually get there, the atmosphere is incredible. I said you're in like a, a sort of a building with so many other Welsh athletes who, who are all so friendly. You, you sort of have these sort of meetings together I, I don't know you just get overwhelmed by it all and you I know I know this probably sounds a bit strange but you just feel even more Welsh than you did before you went if that makes any sense to people I mean I, I, I don't know it's just it's just an incredible atmosphere it's just so different I don't think you get it anywhere else and I thought you just step on that green and you just really want to do well more than you do anywhere else I don't I don't know if Maybe people who've gone there will understand what I'm trying to say. I probably haven't got the right words, but I've not felt anything like that anywhere else that I've ever been and played. And it's just, it's just amazing. And I know when I went with Gilly, who, who is, well, who was a Welshman through and through, I've never come across anybody who was so proud and patriotic to be Welsh. And, you know, it's just that feeling. And it's like that with everybody. People are friendly. They talk to you. They inspire you. They're going, come on, come on. It's like... It's just amazing feeling, it is. And I, I'm just really looking forward to going to Birmingham and sort of being in that situation again. Obviously, still waiting for that final qualification spot. Um, only a few weeks to go yeah. until that is hopefully confirmed for you. Going back to, to the beginning of your journey into sport then, um, it was unexpected, as you've said before, that sport wasn't in your plan whatsoever. Um, but your life turned I suppose upside down for a period of time um, a few years back. Explain to us what your life was like before you lost your sight. I was a head teacher, I was teaching, I had a sort of a normal, what I call a normal life, doing what most people do, getting the children ready for school, you know, doing your shopping, managing, sort of finding time to do, you know, go out and go to the park, you know, take the children to clubs after school, just juggling everyday things like everybody else does. But I think uh, I woke up sort of one day and I was aware that something wasn't quite right. And it sort of started the slippery slope to my sight disappearing very quickly. And within a few short months, I had no sight left at all. And although I often sort of try to sort of act as if it's it's sort of quite a simple thing to to manage it it was devastating and I think within sort of possibly three months I had sort of a complete change of sort of environment and life I had no job I had no sense of myself I couldn't do any of the things that I would have taken for granted like brush my teeth find my clothes be able to take the children to school all the things that I'd been doing for my whole life just disappeared out the window. And it's very different, difficult because everything that I thought I was and my whole sense of me just disappeared. I didn't, wanted nothing more than to be a teacher my entire life. I mean, I remember at six, I'd, um, you know, in primary school, you always do projects and things like that. And I remember in infant school, 
the, my teacher then, it was a Mrs. Archer, I remember her well, she was fab fabulous. And she'd said to us, right, we're going to do projects and you want you to make a little booklet of what you want to be when you grow up. And I'm sure everybody has done that. And I wanted to be a teacher. That's all I'd ever wanted to be. So, of course, as I'd grown up, I'd become a teacher and it was a real passion of mine. It was all I did, you know, in the summer holidays, I'd be finding things to do and, you know, things for the children to do. I mean, my first ever job, I built an air raid shelter in the corner of my classroom for the children to go in. It was such a passion of mine. It's, I sort of lived and breathed teaching. And then to suddenly find I couldn't do it anymore, it was absolutely devastating. I felt I'd just lost everything about myself. I didn't know who I was. And um, it, it just made life really, really... I, 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 it, I just lost everything, not just my sight. I just lost me. Mm. And there's no book, is there, to help you, to guide you through that period. There's no, there's no script you can follow. Um, very dark times for you. It, it is really, I mean, you don't expect, you know, you, with your life plan and what you see in front of you and things like that, you don't expect something like that to happen. I, I just didn't know how to deal with it. I think, you know, my parents were sort of at a, at a loss, really, how to, to help me. Um, I, and I, I did, I spent six months just wallowing because I, I mean, I just didn't know how to deal with it. Everything that I knew and was prepared for, I didn't know how to do the fact that, you know, getting up in the morning was something I, I couldn't do, you know, like I'd wake up, I'd open my eyes and then think, well, I can't see anything. I don't know what to do, you know, getting out of bed and getting washed and dressed, quite simple tasks you'd think is like, couldn't do it. My house wasn't set up. I couldn't get in and out of the shower without somebody helping me because I had a cubicle shower which was like three glass sides. I couldn't even get in and out of the shower without somebody helping me. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want somebody to help me. And it's just everything was too difficult to do. And I just didn't want to do it. It's not only the, the sense of loss and grief that you suddenly can't see. It's I just actually couldn't do the things either. So it's all this, you go through all this, why me, why me, why me? And it's like... I just didn't want to do anything. So I did. I wallowed for six months. I didn't want to do anything. But then there comes a point where you just think, right, well, life's got to go. In. Is this it? What am I going to do? And I am a very determined, very resilient type of person. And then it's like, right, well, I got children to bring up. They still want their mum. At the end of the day, I'm still a mum. I've got to do something. And something just clicked. And I, it was almost like a switch something just clicked. And I've always been the sort of person who's a problem solver. I'm, very, I'm a very pragmatic, very objective type of person. And if there's a problem, I will always look for how to solve it rather than, oh gosh, what's going on here? I'm, I'm not that sort of, I'm not like a hysterical type of person. It's like, this is the problem, how do you fix it? Do and think, do that's what it was. Do you think certain elements of the skills that you had as a headmistress has helped you carry through that th those darker times at the start? I think so. I mean, I just think you, you've got different types of people and different type of personalities and, and that sort of thing. And I, I take, you know, I, I've taken after my dad. My dad's very much like that. You know, my mother was always very much sort of the dramatic, sort of very emotional type of not that I'm not emotional, I, I have my fair share of emotions, but I'm more the practical, do it, solve it, what, how do you deal with it type of person. I mean, I was, my father was like a, a maths sort of person, and I was very much the same. It's, it's, and I think it's, you approach things in a different way. And 
that's, you know, you go, everybody has their own skills and their, their sort of own direction. And I think that was very much how I would deal with things. And it definitely clicked and something clicked. It was like a, literally a switch. And one morning I was, you know, you could say like on a Monday was wallowing Tuesday. I was up, whatever. Right. This is what I need. This is how I need to sort of resolve it. And that was basically it. And first thing that happened, right, sort my house out. I need this. I need this. In order to do this, I need X, Y and Z. And that's pretty much what happened. My mum and I came up the next morning. My goodness, what's going on here? And it was like a military campaign. I want X, Y and Z in place. I need this, this and this. And things just changed dramatically then. And it's... I think that's what happened. And within sort of three, four months, I then decided that, right, other people must be in the same situation as me. I need something to do. I can't, I can't teach, right? I can't, I need to do something. So, you know, and once I'd resolved myself and sorted myself out to some extent, it, sound, it's very, it sounds very simple, it wasn't quite as simple as that, but I um, then went on to sort of uh, become chairperson of a charity in Bridgend, a local charity for visually impaired people, because I thought, well, it, if I'm like that, there's other people in the same situation and things needed to change. So I, I worked with a, a local charity and started organising things for them because I thought it's got, it's got to be other people in the same situation as me. It can't just be me. And I worked with a, a charity called Bridge Biz for about six years, trying to organise change and put things in place for other visually impaired people in Bridgend because I knew it had to be exactly the same. Was there a... I suppose like a light bulb moment where you realised, oh, actually, I'm I'm happy. My life's different, but I'm happy again. Or was it a long process? I I think it was a very long process. I think because what was happening, I didn't I didn't appreciate it at the time. To be honest, I I was looking for um, almost like substitutes and to try and not to accept. Not that I didn't accept. I couldn't see, but I needed something to fill the void like I wasn't a teacher anymore what else can I put in place I was looking so I was substituting it with right I'll, I'll run this charity and I'll do this and I was doing things constantly for other people so I was I was trying to help and support other people and I was doing campaigning and I was I was the bane of Bridgend County's life and I mean I was because <laughs> I, I had all those skills from you know running a school I was like, right, you know, and Bridgend were great. I mean, they did a lot of things, but it was because they were being made to do them. But I wasn't doing anything for me at all. So I was almost like trying to forget the fact that I might need some me time or do something. I was doing things for everybody else all the time. And I lost, I lost my mum in 2011. And I lost my dad then very unexpectedly in 2015. So everything went sort of to pieces my support network disappeared very quickly and it was only after that then I suddenly thought hang on a minute there's something missing now you know I, I it sort of brought it home very quickly that I needed something for me and that's when sport actually kicked in and and because I'd sort of started sport in 2014 and but I was still trying to juggle everything else and whatever and sport sort of saved my sanity, really, because when I lost everything else and I was trying to juggle everything, sport kept me sane. The power of sport. Mm, definitely. At the start, it wasn't lawn bowls right at the start, was it? You did try various other activities to, to try and find your niche. <laughs> well, I, I think because I was chairperson of this charity, what we did was we did um, one, of the, one of the focuses. We were doing different things, did different projects, and we sort of set up a, an allotment and different things, but... 
for one of the years then I was I was trying to get people to be active because obviously you know I was a, a passionate believer that you need to be out and be active and move around and um, we tried a lot of different types of sports so I mean I did try target target shooting as one of the activities they, it was very much a case of well we're only doing it if you do it so everything that had to be done I had to do everything because I was chairperson well if you don't do it so it was like I, I, we had set up a target shooting club and it was really good and it was fine and I was very good at target shooting but and I, that is actually a recognized sport and you can go but um, we did a taster session for lawn bowls and I was thinking oh my god lawn bowls you know it doesn't sound very exciting does it you know and I think there's always the misconception with bowls that it's not for young people or it's not very exciting and something but you know I did this taster session and I was hooked well and truly hooked I, I played it a couple of times I thought I can be really good at this this is really really exciting and it's one of those sports that I think unless you try you don't actually appreciate how it's, it's, it's very quick to pick up, but it's actually really gripping. You can, you can, because I think you, people's misconceptions are totally wrong. And a lot of youngsters play the sport. If you look at the national teams, they're all sort of usually under 30. They're all really young and it's a big, big sport in so many different countries. I mean, Australia is it's a massive sport. Scotland is a big sport, you know. There's, there's got to be something about it, doesn't yeah. it? So it's definitely worth a look for people. And that's what's good about the Commonwealth Games as well, mm. putting it on that global stage, isn't it? Demonstrating how how competitive and how skillful the sport mm. is. Um, but one question that um, that gets asked was, if you're visually impaired, how can you play lawn bowls? Obviously, you can't see the jack. But the but, but this comes down to the director or the coach that works very closely with you. And John Wilson, who was your director in the Gold Coast, who helped you clinch that bronze medal with Gilbert. Um, describe to us the process on how you work together as a team. Um, well, yeah, with, with vision-impaired bowls or, or um, with you know somebody who hasn't got a lot of sight, you have a string down the centre of the green. So for any level of sight then, you know, if you've got poor sight, you can actually see part of the string that gives you the center line. For me, I feel the string. And then it's all done on a clock-based system. So you get directions. So they'll tell you, you know, your bowl is at 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, and you bowl to a distance. So obviously the information that you are given is vitally important. So that's where your director um, sometimes they call it a coach, but your director, the information they give you is, is crucial. So you, you build up a, a, a relationship of trust then that you, the information you're being given is accurate and um, so on with, you know, obviously if they give you rubbish information, you get rubbish yeah. bowls, don't you? But, um, you know, I, I met John Wilson in 2014. Um, I'd done a taste of session and I, I'd done that in Bridgend and then... Um, one of the, the ladies in Bridgend, uh, Liz Anderson, she'd said to me, well, I think you need, you know, you actually could be good at this. She said, you need specialist coaching. And she'd found out about John Wilson that he he did VI coaching. So he, she'd rang him and asked me to go down there and I met him. And it, it was one of those things. When you meet somebody, you sort of warm to them. And he just had a very, you know, when you can't see somebody, you you do need to feel that that person is, is sort of genuine. And, and he just has this, very reassuring, sort of warming sort of manner about him. So when I went down to meet him, he was sort of saying, all right, you know, you've got it. And he just immediately made you feel at ease. 
and he I don't know within the first couple of weeks of meeting him he just motivates you and made you feel that you could do anything he was one of those people that never um never saw the blindness if that makes sense he just saw you as a player a person somebody as an athlete basically and throughout the time I knew him he never saw me as a blind bowler he just saw me as a person who could play bowls and the trust between you both yeah. isn't it it's, it's, it works both ways and it has yeah. to well I, I remember when people interviewed him because he won um the dis the sport wells disability coach of the year award one year and I remember when he when he was being interviewed he said that he played his bowls through me. He played the game exactly as he would play the game. He just played it through me. So whatever shot he saw, he would just give me the instructions to play it as if he was on the green playing bowls. And I thought that was a lovely thing to say because it wasn't a case of, oh no, she can't play that shot because she's blind. She can't play that shot. He just played the game of bowls exactly as he would play it, but just gave me the instructions in order to be able to play it. And I was never in any doubt that he thought I couldn't play a shot. And that's an amazing feeling to have, that you he's got complete confidence that you can deliver that bowl. And I think that was the thing. He, he had confidence in me and I had confidence in him. And that's the relationship you want between an athlete and a coach. And it's not just about being able to perform on the day. It's all the training, isn't it? The yeah. muscle memory. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you know, it's unbelievable to imagine what you can accomplish. There's no barriers. Uh, and you know, something like the Commonwealth Games as well is very inclusive. And that's demonstrated throughout across all sports mm. as well. How, you know, how important is it for you to, I suppose, shout from the rooftops that anything is possible for anybody with any sort of disability? I think it's vitally important because I think, you know, there there are no barriers. I mean, I have no sight at all, and yet I came into sport quite late in two thousand and fourteen, having not competed at an elite level before, and within what, two months, I'd won the Welsh Championship. I won my first UK title the following year, and I, I, I won it four years in a row. You know, I, I just continued to do it. I think with dedication, determination, and a commitment to do something, anything is possible. I've got no sight at all, and I play against sighted players. I, I just think you've got to have a positive attitude. You've got to have the, the belief, the commitment. You do have to have support systems in place. You've got to have people who are not there putting up barriers in, in you know there's got society have got to make things accessible for you in terms of not put barriers up in, in place for you but I think a lot of it if you believe and the, the sort of systems are there for you anything is possible and I know we've been on the road quite a few times going around schools as well mm. um, and you know seeing the the excitement from the pupils asking you questions about your sport your disability as well mm. and it's during those visits isn't it yeah. seeing you there answering the questions demonstrating that anything is possible because it's at that age where you need to inspire the youngsters yeah. to come through isn't it and try the different well, this is it. I mean when I was in school I always used to tell children when I was teaching there's no such word as can't and there isn't. You just take the apostrophe T off. Because I mean, a number of times when I was teaching, you used to write the word can't on the board. And then they'd say, well, what's that word? And I said, well, what happens when I do this? And you rub off the apostrophe T. And then what's that say? Can. And it's, it's very simple. And they think, oh, yes, I didn't think. And like, it's perfectly true. There is no, you don't have to have a word like can't. It's, it's can. And it's the same when you say the word impossible. There's no such word as impossible. It's I'm possible. 
you, you don't have, it's, it's how you perceive things and your perception of things. I mean, a lot of people will say to me, oh, you can't do that, you're blind. Why not? You just do it in a slightly different way. I mean, I was told when I took my children um, to boulders in Cardiff, which is like a rock climbing, you know, one of those, oh, you can't possibly do that. I became an independent climber. I, I did it with the children. I got the certificate. Did everything. Why can't I do that? Because you're blind. It's tactile. You just do it in a slightly different way. I need the instructors to explain in a slightly different way. And it did take, you know, I, I brought the things home. I practiced the knots. I did. As long as you explain it correctly, there's no reason why I can't do that. I was climbing up the road. I was doing, the children were more reassured when I was holding the rope to do the belaying thing down the wall than they were when they were doing it themselves. There's no such word as impossible. It's I'm possible and you do it in a different way. You've just got to approach it slightly differently sometimes. And I think that's, that's the thing that you've got to get across to children. It's nothing that you can't do. You may have to approach it in a slightly different way. It may take a little bit longer. You may have different steps to get there, but it, you can certainly do it if you've got the right attitude and the right approach. And your approach into Birmingham is slightly different this time because you've got your new partner in crime. I'll let you introduce her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we talking about my lovely furry friend? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had um, a guide dog sort of about a year and a half ago now, Yoko. So she's been absolutely fantastic. It's just made such a difference. So, uh, yes, I'm hoping that she's going to be coming with me so the plan is that she will it just makes such a difference because you don't have to hold on to anybody you don't have to wait for people to get you from a to b it's been fabulous she's she's a star she's we went up to leamington where we we're going to be playing bowls for um a test event last year and she was amazing it's just it's just so such simple things like when we went to a hotel and she did a trip once literally from the desk up to the room and from then on, she knew where she was going. So she was back and forth. She, it's almost like she's got radar built in. She's absolutely brilliant. So you don't, you don't have to worry about navigating and getting from A to B. She's, she's a superstar. And I suppose it's more independence again, yeah. isn't it, for you? Well, it is. It's just, you know, it it's just makes life so much easier. I mean, there are other things. as You've got to make sure you pack up all her food. So I've got an extra bag full of food and stuff because she doesn't work on an empty stomach. But it just makes it much easier. You don't have to um, rely on people remembering to come back and get you to guide you from A to B because I've been left before when people have forgot. Oh, I've forgotten. I've got to take her from there. To... And I think it just makes life so much easier. It's fabulous. What do you think she's going to make of, of uh, Birmingham? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. The, o the only thing I think she might be a bit phased by is probably if, if when we go to the opening ceremony, if there's a lot of noise. Well, I'm not sure how she's going to react to that, but I think the rest should be fine. So what is the goal in Birmingham? Have you got a target? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me. <laughs> to play, well, yes, if I tell you, you'll be telling everybody, <laughs> won't you? Um, no, I think it's the, same, it's the same goals we had in the Gold Coast from the point of view that we want to go there, we're going to play our best, and you know, we obviously will be aiming to be on the podium. Very good, good luck. <laughs> Um, what our campaign is obviously the summit of our aspirations, where we turn our aspirations when we're young, young, um, into reaching our summit, our top goals. Now, obviously, your summits have changed from when you were a headmistress to an athlete now. But what, apart from Birmingham and your goals there to get on the podium, 
what other aspirations or summits would you like to reach? Because you're a very determined person. I'm sure you've got a few that you want to accomplish. Uh, well, there, there are a few things. I mean, one of them is actually happening at the moment, which I'm delighted at, because one of the things in terms of sport and bowls is the fact that I would like it to be more inclusive, because you hear the word inclusive sort of bandied about quite a lot. And bowls is a sport that is inclusive. You know, some sports struggle to be as inclusive, but bowls isn't one of them. And, you know, you can play, you know, I do play with sighted bowlers, but it's a case of that's, it, we had an announcement a little while ago that World Bowls were bringing para bowls into the mix. And for the first time now, there's going to be a World Bowls competition, which is actually going to include para bowls. Normally, we've had to have all our own, our own competitions. So, you know, you have world championships, which are separate, that Parabol is the only competition where Parabol runs alongside, um, you know, the men's and women's competitions is in the Commonwealth Games. So there was an announcement now. So next year, there will actually be a World Bowls competition, which includes Parabol other than the Commonwealth Games, which is great. So that's a real step in the right direction. And that's one of the things I would really like to see parabowls becomes inclusive across all bowls competitions and not you know at the moment it's just going to be I think sort of the mixed bowls competitions the same as the Commonwealth Games format but I would like to see it inclusive across all sort of all bowls competitions you know you want to see parabowlers in national teams and and things like that because it, it's it's a sport where it can be inclusive and that would be something that would be a marvellous thing to see. Not just hear the word inclusive, to actually see it in action. And for people to understand what it means. And I think that's a summit and a goal that I would love to see happen. Uh, you heard it here first. Julie Thomas, thank you very much. With Birmingham on the horizon and hopes of getting on the podium once again with her new companion in tow, for Julie, there's clearly no barriers in sport and she's certainly an inspiration for future Commonwealth athletes.